and welcome everyone here in the Kirk building and everyone online to our service of worship this morning. We're going to continue on our journey in 1 Peter, and we come to a place in chapter 3 where Peter quotes from a psalm, Psalm 34. It's a psalm that I think speaks to many of us today. So we're going to start our service with three verses from that psalm. And please feel free during the week to read the whole of the psalm. You'll find it encouraging. You'll find words that will relate with how you're perhaps feeling at the moment. This psalm begins by saying, the righteous cry out. Maybe like me, you don't feel very righteous. But in fact, according to Jesus' definition of a righteous person, it's one who knows his or her need for God. It's one who is in a place to trust in God's righteousness. If you're feeling at the end of your tether that you can't do this thing called life alone, you're in good company. And you can be counted amongst God's righteous. So let's hear the words of this psalm as we begin. God's words to us. The righteous cry out. And the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. And he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Let's continue our reading this morning. Let's hear what God has to say to us. Good morning. The reading this morning is from the first book of Peter, chapter 3, verse 9 to 18. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against you for your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, and righteousness, the righteousness for the unrighteous to bring you to God. 
He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray as we turn to reflect on God's word. Lord, thank you that your word doesn't come from a place where there is no pain. But it comes from brothers and sisters who have suffered before us. Thank you that it speaks into our world where suffering is all too prevalent. Lord, we ask you to open this word to us and us to it, that we might walk closer with you. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our theme this morning is suffering. It's a theme that comes up often in Peter's letter. Back in chapter 1, he speaks of his friend's suffering grief of all kinds in all kinds of trials. In chapter 2 that we looked at just two weeks ago, he writes to those who are slaves amongst his friends. And it speaks of them bearing up under unjust suffering. And he points all of his friends and all of God's people to the example of Jesus as the suffering servant prophesied in Isaiah chapter 43 that Peter quotes there in chapter 2. We all suffer in one way or another. It is inescapable in such a world as the one in which we live. And some people think that religion will help them to evade suffering. And some religions, in fact, purport to help people to do just that. Some preachers promise that, too. True Christianity, however has a much more sober and realistic attitude when it comes to suffering. Christian scriptures, including the one that we're looking at this morning, tell us that even our Lord suffered. So we should not expect to escape suffering. But those same scriptures also tell us that because Christ suffered and approached suffering, with faith and hope that there will come a day when all suffering will cease. In the meantime, for us who continue to struggle in this world, there is the possibility that our approach to suffering, our approach by following Christ's example, can and will be part of what God is doing in Christ to bring about liberation from suffering, not just for ourselves, not just for our time, but for the whole of creation for eternity. Peter in this letter doesn't speak of every kind of suffering, but he speaks to one specific type of suffering. Peter's friends were being persecuted by others. 
Up until now, their suffering was not so much physical as psychological. They, individually and as a Christian community, were being accused of wrongdoing, of being unpatriotic, of being immoral. They were being verbally attacked and insulted to their faces and behind their backs. And Peter writes this letter to help his friends handle that specific type of suffering. And I believe that what Peter tells his friends is helpful for us, us who also often face the negative attitudes of others. Perhaps not because of our faith, though in our society that is becoming more prevalent. I think we can all relate times in our life when we have suffered because people just don't like us. And sometimes it must be acknowledged that we are at fault. But also sometimes we suffer in this way unjustly. How are we to react when people badmouth us and malign us? Let's look at what Peter says. Peter's instructions are threefold, and they have to do with three things. Perspective, calling, and character. Perspective, calling, and character. Sorry, they're not three C's. That would have been much more memorable, but I, I couldn't find a C to replace perspective. <laughs> Peter, if you haven't realized it already, knows his Hebrew Bible. He knows it almost as well as Jesus did. And Peter is forever quoting the Old Testament scriptures. Peter's reverence for the Old Testament and the way that he uses it in, in comforting his friends and instructing them is, I believe, a great example for us. When it comes to helping his friends who are being maligned and verbally attacked, he directs them to one psalm in particular, Psalm 34, a part of which we read already. And Peter quotes it here in chapter 3 of his letter in verses 10 to 12. Why does Peter choose this psalm? Well, this psalm is written by David. David wrote it reflecting on a time when he was in a similar situation to folks in Asia Minor to whom Peter is writing. David at that time was in exile. He was a stranger and an alien. He was in the land of the Philistines. And just as Peter's friends are aliens and strangers in the world that they inhabit, so David was too. What saw David through those times is what Peter recommends to his friends. The quotation for Psalm 34 begins. Whoops, I didn't put that one in. Whoever would love life and see good days. Whoever would love life and see good days. 
Neither Peter or David is saying that for everyone who follows these instructions, life is going to be plain sailing. It's not going to be a lovely life with only sunny days. No, Peter is reminding his folks to have a different perspective. Whoever would do the right thing and be at peace with themselves and with God, which is to love life, eternal life, and, those, and have those days in their sight. Whoops. Whoever would love life and see good days must keep his, her tongue from evil and his or her lips from deceitful speech. That's the quote from Psalm 34, quoted here by Peter. Sometimes we get it into our minds that if other people started the conflict, then we are justified in giving as much of what we got back to them and maybe more. You may remember those words in the playground when the teacher came out to tell you off and you said, he started it. Those words you thought justified everything you said and everything you did in retaliation to him. It's funny how even though we are now adults, we still have that same mindset. It's so hard to restrain yourself. At least I find it so. I don't want to let injustice and wrong go. I want to correct things especially when it concerns a wrong idea about me or an injustice done towards me. But that's not the way that Peter recommends here. That desire to retaliate and justify ourselves, he tells us, arises from a wrong perspective on things. But here's the right perspective, according to Peter. We are God's slaves. Chapter 2, verse 16. We were bought with a price. Chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. He, God, who is our master, will defend us if and when we need defending what does Peter say of Jesus' attitude back in chapter 2? When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Christ's perspective and David's perspective were that though it seemed they were all alone, though it seemed that they were weak against powerful forces with no one to defend them, God, the sovereign Lord, who judges justly, was there, and they entrusted themselves to him. I've said this before, and I think it bears repeating. 
Whenever we are in a conflict situation or, or any conversation with anyone, it's always good to bear in mind that though to the physical eye there might only be two parties present, for the Christian there are always three. God is always with us. God has our back. God judges justly, as Peter says. If we have it wrong, he is there as a witness, yes. And if the other person is in the wrong, God knows that too. He will judge justly. He's the judge. We do not need to defend ourselves. When we are walking with him, when we are walking in his ways, he will, in the end, defend us. And he is there to forgive us and correct us when and if we get things wrong. So that's the perspective we should have. What about the calling? Do not repay evil for evil, but respond with blessing, Peter says. That, according to Peter, is the calling, the calling of God's people. It's not a recommendation. It's not a suggestion. It is a calling to bless in the face of insult is what we are and what we should be about. It is our purpose to bless in the face of insult. That is our purpose as a church and as individual Christians. And it is a purpose that can be powerful. I like the true story that I came across the other day of a young Christian enlisted in the army during World War II. You've seen those movies. You know how life in boot camp is. There is no privacy. The beds are all in two lines down the sides of the building and everyone can see what everyone else is up to. Well, this young Christian would read his Bible and pray before he went to sleep each night. And everyone else began to ridicule him for it. And then one night, one particular bully threw a muddy boot at him as he was praying on his bed. The next morning, when the bugle blew, the bully woke up to find both his boots polished and neatly stowed under his bed. Blessing for insult. Maybe our young Christian had been reading one Peter that night. In the end, as the platoon fought together and faced misery in battle, the true character of our young Christian came to the fore and several others in the outfit sought him out and they too became Christians. And indeed, being able to give blessing for insult is a matter of character. 
Peter is asking his folks to truly bless. Not begrudgingly, not out of obligation, but because they truly want to benefit those who insult them. It's a hard one. I've always loved that passage in Proverbs that is quoted again by Paul in Romans where it says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. I think that passage can be misunderstood, and I believe I have misunderstood it in the past. We're not to bless our enemies in order to get back at them. But we're to bless them because we genuinely, we genuinely want to see them blessed. And I think Proverbs and Paul are getting at this. That sometimes when we bless in return for insult, the fiery shame the other person feels will in God's providence perhaps lead them to a change of heart and they will be doubly blessed, not just by us, but by God as well. Again, returning blessing for insult is a really hard thing to do and few of us do it well. It takes a lifetime of learning And it requires all three of the things that we've talked about. But most of all, it requires that we trust in God's unfailing love for us. No matter how difficult we find life, we know that Christ has walked this road before us. He has overcome the world. And because we trust in him, Because we are found in him, we too are assured of victory. So in summary, being able to bless in return for insult requires perspective. The perspective of God's sovereign presence with us when we are insulted, going away and praying for the other person realizing that this is not on our shoulders entirely. God is in this with us. God will have his way. We do not need to justify or retaliate. It requires the understanding that we are called to this. It is so easy to see the conflicts that we face as distractions from really living life and achieving things. But maybe we should see conflict as at least one valid arena in which to live, in which to live out those purposes as the people of God. An arena where we can bless others as we deal with trouble not that we seek out trouble but to be sure according to Jesus' promise as we spoke with the kids 
trouble will always find us. It's just the nature of things, I'm sorry to say. It is not the evading of trouble, but the dealing with it that will be transformational for our world and for us. All of this will help to shape our character as people who look and act like Jesus more and more as the days go by. Looking more and more like Jesus who through his handling of insult and injury brought about the possibility of reconciliation with God and the redemption of the whole world. May God in his grace allow us more and more of a share in this his kingdom's work. Amen. Oh, Peter, it is a difficult book. <laughs> there are lots of bits, many of which that we haven't touched on that I'm sure you've got questions about. One verse that we, uh, Sam kindly read for us gave me pause to think there in chapter 3. Peter says to his friends, who will harm you if you are eager to do what is good? Well, Peter, <laughs> there are loads of people who will harm me when I try to do what is good. That's just the nature of this world. But what Peter is getting at here is that we as Christian people live in a different world. We have, as I said before, a different perspective. He says, but even if you should suffer for doing what is right, how blessed you are. Do not be afraid of what they are afraid. Do not be frightened. We do not live in fear of the power structures of this world. We don't let the world define for us what is good and what is bad. We let God do that. And so we don't fear. We revere God as God and King of our lives. I've got a, a, a picture I'd like to show you. Since I can't hug you, <laughs> I'll put this one up. Uh, a sculpture by Charlie McCaskey called The Prodigal Spirit. So I think it's a, a sculpture of the prodigal son returning to the father and getting that big hug. And the prodigal isn't even able to hug him back. <laughs> That is grace. God hugs us even when we're not able to hug him. Even when we feel helpless and useless, God is there and he loves us. So take that as an embrace from me today and know that God embraces you as well. Let us pray together. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. 
Lord, there is so much to be afraid of. At times like these, life, the life that we have known and loved, seems so fragile. In a moment, it can all be taken away. Eternal God, help us at these times to trust in you. Help us to trust that your love will preserve us and deliver us. And though it is hard, help us to trust that beyond what we can see and understand, you have a kingdom waiting for us. We bring before you now our concerns, our concerns for folks we love and for ourselves. And we come laying them before you, asking for your will, your way with all of these. Lord, be with all those who are battling with illness at this time especially Margaret, Ray, Jean, Sheena, Hazel, and Hannah. And in the silence now we name others for whom we are concerned. Lord and with those who care for them give healing give grace and growth even in the midst of trials and today reminded by Peter that many in your church have suffered and still suffer persecution for your name we pray for brothers and sisters in places where it is very hard to be Christian. May they be sustained by your word, upheld by your spirit, and encouraged by the support of fellowship. And as we reflect on the scriptures we just read, we ask you to grant us your peace in the midst of our conflicts with others. Help us to be open to the possibility that we might be wrong. Help us to extend the blessing that asking for Forgiveness affords. And when we are unjustly insulted, belittled, and scorned, help us to turn to you. 
the only truly righteous one, who, when you were insulted, you did not retaliate, but you entrusted yourself to your Father and willingly suffered returning blessing that your enemies might be made your friends. Help us, Lord, to walk in the spirit of Christ in all our dealings with one another and with those in the wider world. Make us your agents of peace. For we pray in and through the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.